But wait, it gets worse. On December 24th, 2008, Bruce Pardo went to his ex-wife's family's house dressed as Santa Claus and started shooting. He also set the house on fire. Nine people were killed and three others were injured. But wait, it gets worse. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Mara. Each week we'll bring you a chilling tale and a real-life encounter, and it's up to you to determine which is which. Last week, we told you some stories about decapitation. Yuck. I told you a sadly true story. Oh, I just remembered what that story was, and yeah. now I'm sad again. Um, so, unfortunately, that is, again, current, and we're not really sure where it stands, so it's kind of hanging open. Um, but I got my information from dailymail.co.uk, and the article was called Personal Trainer Dad Accused of Beheading Son and Daughter. Um, and then from people.com, I got an article as well. So that was the true story of Maurice Jewell Taylor Sr., and his wife, Natalie Brothwell. That was a really sad story. I wonder what's going to happen there. We'll find out. I'm definitely going to follow it. Yeah. Um, so that means my story was not true. Um, I found my story um, on Reddit No Sleep. I know you're all very shocked to hear that. <laughs> uh, it was called World's Best School Psychologist by user Creepy Carbs, which Creepy I carbs. love. I do like that a lot. Yes. And this week we're talking about Christmas time. <laughs> we are doing Christmas stories this week. Uh, but first, I have a Christmas present for you. You do? I do. What is it? Uh, you can open it if I can find it. Is this what you told me you could tell me about? Yeah. Oh, that's a cute little box. I hope you like it. It's really a present for, like, both of us. Well, that's the best kind of present that you can <laughs> share with someone. I shouldn't have taped it, but I didn't want it to come open. ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> I didn't realize how loud this was going to be. Hell yeah! <laughs> oh, I'm really glad awesome. you told me when cheering was done, because I definitely would have booked it sooner. <laughs> this is so cool. Okay, so obviously you guys can't see this. So Mara got us a reservation to the Lizzie Borden house. Yes. Oh, this is so And exciting. we're staying in the Andrew and Abby room. And that's obviously Lizzie Borden's dad Ew. and stepmom. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Um, so I only booked the room. We still have to book our tour, but they do them like, I think every half hour or something. So. Oh yeah, that's I'm not worried about that. That is so I hope cool. it's kind of speedy. <laughs> Thank you. You're I'm welcome. so excited. I didn't grab you anything. That's okay. Sorry, love this you is so a much. surprise. So I wasn't really expecting you to get me anything. This is so cool. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Yay! Yay! Okay. Um so yeah, do you want to do oh my gosh, I wonder if we should bring our mic and record from <gasps> The Lizzie yeah. Yes, right. we definitely We're not should. going until March, guys, so we'll plan this out for you. Yes, yes. Okay, I think I want to go first this week, if that's okay. Tell me a story. I'm going to. Um, My story is, like, 
it makes me uncomfortable. It's kind of disturbing. I mean, I know all of the stories that we tell are pretty disturbing, but this one really just creeped me out. Um, and if I laugh, it's not because I think it's funny. It's because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's jump right into it. Grandma would always warn me that the elf on the shelf was watching to make sure I wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. First of all, do your niece and nephew do elf on the shelf or did they? They did until this year. Okay. We haven't had to do it and I feel truly blessed because it seems like so much work. Yeah. I would send my sister stuff all the time, like pictures that I saw on Pinterest and yeah. Facebook and stuff because I was like, I need to help the sister out. Ugh. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't have to do it either. <laughs> it just so. Sounds like so much work. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, growing up, even when it was nowhere near Christmas, the elf would observe me. The elf would judge me. With my brother and cousins around all the time, it wasn't easy to be good. But I tried. I tried really hard. When I'd make a mistake and be mean to one of them, I felt that elf staring at me. I would remember that moment. I'd picture it waiting until I was in bed, then running and tattling to Santa. No matter how much I screamed and sobbed to it, the elf would never answer. It would just wait and watch for me to do something bad again. It knew me too well. On the 4th of July, I burned Marissa with a sparkler. I didn't do it on purpose. I mean, I meant to burn Marissa, but I didn't <laughs> want to hurt her. <laughs> I wanted to see what would happen. Unfortunately, she got hurt pretty bad. Uh-oh. Grandma had to take her to the hospital. Ooh. But not before she got out the belt and whipped me until I couldn't sit down. Gotcha. After Marissa's mom came over to give me a beating of her own, I was left watching Neil, my little brother. Grandma was still at the hospital. Neil watched TV while I tried to walk off the pain from the beatings. Mm. Before dad died, that's what he'd tell me to do. Walk it off, you little bitch. Ugh. It actually doesn't say bitch. It says a worse word, but I didn't want to say it because I don't like to say that word. Okay. I walked a lot. When I got to the living room, the elf was watching me. It knew. Its wooden mouth was open, almost like it was screaming accusations. Ew. You're a bad kid. Nobody likes you. Santa thinks you're terrible. You'll be a bad man when you grow up. It didn't actually speak, of course, but it was obviously, but it was obvious that's what it meant. It was the same stuff grandma said to me day in and day out. And somehow I always made sure to live up to it. Try as I might, I couldn't be good. At the age of eight, I was already certain that I was rotten to the core. That's so sad. This is a very sad child. Yeah. Months went by and my efforts yielded punishment. If I wasn't accidentally knocking over a vase in the kitchen, I was tracking mud into the hallway. It invari invariably ended with my pants around my ankles and my grandfather's old leather belt smashing into me as I tried not to scream. Screaming would only make the beatings last longer. Your last two stories have been about sad children and their parents being stupid and mean and rotten. Um, I will make sure to not tell a sad child story next week. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Oh, man. When it was finally over, I inched my jeans and underwear back up, and I told myself I'd be better, that I'd be a good kid from here on out. And for a while, for the entire month of November, and even into December, I was. Grandma, Neil, and I went to get our Christmas tree on December 4th. We came home and decorated it while cookies baked in the oven. 
I remember grandma lifting me with her strong, solid arms so I could put the star on top. The star had been her daughter's, my mother's. It was one of the only things that was left that had belonged to her. On December 5th, after Neil and I had gotten home from school, we were playing around. Like all brothers, we played rough. With him being six and me being eight, I was quite a bit bigger. When we were wrestling, I was spitting him by his arm, and I made a mistake. I let him go, and I sent him right into the Christmas tree. Uh-oh. It fell onto the hardwood floor. Ornaments broke, lights went out, and the star shattered. Oh, no. In an instant, I was panicking. I knew that Neil would tell Grandma. I knew the elf in the other room would learn what I had done. I'd been good for so long that I started hoping that I might actually get Christmas presents. After this, though, after breaking the one thing Grandma had left after her daughter was killed by my dad, I'd be doomed. Grandma would beat me senseless, and then the elf would tell Santa I'd get nothing, and Neil would taunt me with all of his presents. Damn it, Neil. Something sparked inside of me. What if the elf hadn't seen what happened? What if Neil didn't tell Grandma? I was very busy for about an hour. By the time I was done, Grandma would be back from work any minute. I knew I might not fool her, but I'd fool the elf, and that was most important. It was he that talked to Santa, not Grandma. <laughs> I wore Neil's face into the living room and looked at the elf on the shelf. He stared back with his blue, judgmental eyes. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> you backtrack? Did I miss something or did that you escalate nothing. very quickly? I wore Neil's face into the living room and looked at the elf on the shelf. <laughs> Stop laughing. Okay, that just really took me like by surprise. Continue. He stared back with his blue judgmental eyes. I'm sorry I knocked over the tree and broke the ornament, I said, doing my best impression of Neil's high voice. Oh my god. I thought about his body cooling on the kitchen floor and his blood making a mess everywhere. My grandma, maybe grandma, would believe he fell on a knife if I cried hard enough. Oh my god. Under the mask of my brother's skin... I peered at the elf through the eye holes. The skin tasted awful, but I had to breathe through my mouth because the nose holes lined up right. I wish this was a video right now. I don't! <laughs> so people could see. I wonder reaction. if the elf believed me. Oh my god. I'm sorry, elf, I squeaked again. I heard the garage door rising and a car pulling inside. Grandma was home. I felt a new rush of panic. I glared through the cold mask. Wait. I glared through the cold mask at the arbiter of my Christmas fortune. The door connecting the garage to the kitchen opened, and I heard my grandmother's shrill, hysteric shriek. Elf, I whispered, as tears mixed with my brother's blood and cascaded down my face. The elf on the shelf turned its head 360 <gasps> degrees as its mouth opened and closed. When it faced me again, it spoke. You've been very bad, Neil. I fell to my knees in fervid, incomprehensible relief. Some part of me heard Grandma still screaming. 
somehow even louder when she came into the room and saw me. Again, the elf spoke. You've been terrible, Neil. Now? <laughs> Jesus. Grandma whirled around and looked at the elf, but then shook her head back and forth like she was trying to get a hold of herself. I stood up. Not wanting to ruin the illusion for the elf, I held the mask to my face until I left the room and sat down in the kitchen. Grandma didn't try to hit me. She didn't touch me at all. I piled the skin back on Neil's head and told Grandma that he fell. She didn't answer. What the fuck? She's already looking at you. You had it in your damn hands, kid. It didn't matter, though. 20 days later, in my own warm room at the hospital, I got some very nice Christmas presents. The doctors and nurses were very kind and gentle with me. One even hugged me after I opened my gifts. They weren't exactly what I hoped for, but they were better than nothing. So much better. I giggled to myself as we hugged. When the nurse asked what I was laughing at, I lied and I told her I remembered a funny joke. She smiled, and I was surprised to see a tear running down her cheek. I didn't think much of it, though. All that mattered was that I had won. I had finally fooled the elf on the shelf. I really don't have <laughs> any <laughs> words. Uh, I am shocked. <laughs> I think is the best word for it. I just really didn't see that coming. Um, I think the most disturbing part of the entire thing was when you said, I wish this was on video. No, my reaction. Oh. <laughs> because I was like crying laughing. I'm like, you want to like, watch this? Confused in my head and my hands. Just so many emotions. Very good story, Mara. Great pick. Thanks. Great job. I think. Um, I'm sorry, everyone. Can you tell me a story? I will. All right. So I'm going to tell you a story about a little girl named John Bonet. She was born August 6, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. <gasps> That's Charlie's birthday. Ah, not 1990. No, because that would make her older than me. Yep. And that'd be weird. Her parents were John Bennett and Patricia, who went by Patsy. And she had an older brother named Burke. The family moved to Colorado together. Um, John, the father, was a businessman and a multi-millionaire. Mm -hmm. And Patsy was a former beauty queen herself. So she won the title of Miss West Virginia in 1977. And John Sorry, guys. followed in those footsteps. And by the age of six, had won multiple beauty pageants. On December 26th, 1996, Patsy called the police. Their daughter was missing from her bed. And she found a three-page ransom note demanding $118,000 for her safe return. So police arrived at 5.55 a.m. and found no signs of forced entry. Her body was found later that day, one o'clock in the afternoon, by her father in the basement. Nobody had checked it because they thought she just wasn't in the house. Um, her mouth had been covered in duct tape. Her wrists and her neck were tied. Wow, I'm sorry. Her mouth had been covered in duct tape and her wrists and neck were tied with a white cord 
um, and her torso was covered in a white blanket. So she passed away from a fractured skull. She'd been sexually assaulted and was, she was strangled by a garrote, I think is how you say it. Garrot. Garrot. Ah, thank you. Um, made from one of Patsy's paintbrushes. Mm-hmm. So her official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. During the autopsy, it was found that she had pineapple contents in her stomach. However, her parents state that she didn't have any pineapple. This part is kind of weird to me. It, it feels weird that it's, there's a lot of, um, like pressure around it that it seems to matter so much, but at the same time, it's like written off. I don't know if you want me to interject, to interject or not, well, but I've got s- so many thoughts on this. Okay. Hold on. So right now, all they say is that her brother Burke had been, or from the information that I know is that her brother Burke had been eating a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen. Um, but only his fingerprints were found on the bowl. And his parents say he was in the room all night. They say that she had none from what I've been told. So what information do you have? Or what are your thoughts? So my theory is that Burke did it. Mm -hmm. And that his parents covered up for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that what happened was that he was kind of an asshole kid. Mm -hmm. And that Jean Benet reached over and grabbed a piece of pineapple out of his bowl and ate it. And he got mad. Lost and it. if you look at the crime scene photos and footage and stuff, there's this big heavy duty flashlight just sitting on the counter. Mm-hmm. And I think that she, he got mad and hit her over the head with that flashlight and then realized what he had done. Yeah. I think that's what happened. That's like what I've thought this entire time. Yeah. I and mean, that bo- makes sense. the ransom note, the amount that they asked for was oh. the exact, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm I gotta stop. I gotta stop. I'm getting there. Um, I could go on about this forever. We all know this is the real story. So like, it's fine. Um, So police made crucial errors when arriving to the crime scene. So among those mistakes, only her bedroom was sectioned off, meaning the entire rest of the house had, or the, the family, the police, the friends, they all had access to the entire rest of the house, which is obviously an easy way to screw up the evidence. Um, they allowed John to move Jean Benet's body. So he's the one that found her in the basement. He scooped her up and brought her upstairs immediately. Another way to screw up evidence. Um, both he and Patsy weren't interviewed during the initial questioning. So this is a little similar to the Natalie Brothwell one mm-hmm. where she just was not interviewed at all that first night. Um, so some of the reasons that the parents looked guilty was because they had some inconsistent stories there was fiber on the duct tape on Jean Benet's um, mouth, and the fiber belonged to or, or was from Patsy's clothing. And just the way that they appeared on their media, um, like interviews and that type of stuff, they just seemed guilty, what everybody says. So the police thought that the ransom note had been staged as it was unusually long, like I said, three pages, and written on pen and paper from the house. It also demanded almost the exact amount of money that John had gotten as a bonus at work earlier in the year, mm-hmm. like you were going to say. Um, 
A writing sample was requested from all household members, and it was determined not to be John or Burke's handwriting, but they could not rule out Patsy 100%. Mm-hmm. And it was Patsy's stationery. Right. Yeah. It was also thought that an intruder could have been the sus. Su- wow. <laughs> I'm just going to restart that sentence. (laughs) It was also thought that an intruder could have been the suspect, even though they previously had said there was no sign of forced entry. Like I said, they hadn't checked the basement at the time. A broken window was found in the basement, which was believed to be the most likely entry point. A boot print was found next to her body that didn't belong to anyone in the house, and small drops of blood from an unknown male were found on her underwear. In 1999... A grand jury voted to indict John and Patsy for their alleged role in their daughter's murder. However, Boulder District Attorney Alex Hunter decided not to charge them, claiming insufficient evidence. (laughs) The family (laughs) room... You're on a roll. (laughs) God, I can't talk. (laughs) The family returned to Atlanta, Georgia when the case was dropped and released a book called The Death of Innocence. Some other people who were known suspects were Gary Oliva, who was a child sex offender in the area, uh, Linda Hoffman Pugh, who was their housekeeper, Michael Helgoth, who was an electrician, and Bill Reynolds, the town Santa. None of them have been charged either. In 2006, uh, John Carr um, admitted to killing John Bonet. He confessed that he drugged her, he sexually assaulted her, and then he killed her by accident. However, this admission was dismissed as there were no drugs in her system, and police were unable to confirm that he was even in Boulder at the time of the murder. Additionally, his DNA did not match the profile generated from the samples found. Patsy was previously diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer at age 36 in 93. Um, So before all of this, Mm -hmm. when John Bonet was three years old, however, sought treatment and was in remission for nine years. Uh, In 2009, the ovarian cancer returned and she passed away on June 24th, 2006. John says he lost his entire fortune in the nineties. Who knows if that's actually true. Um, after his wife's death, he re- it's reported that John started dating Beth Holloway, who is the mother to missing Natalie Holloway. Throwback to episode 16, um, which that was a true story, too, obviously. <laughs> he then, <clears throat> that was just a, a short relationship. And then he married wife number three in Utah in 2011. I didn't know that he had dated Natalie Holloway's, did you say mom? Yep. I did not know that. Yeah, so they started bonding that over their missing children. What year did he start dating her? 2006. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. The two key pieces of evidence that remain are Ramsey's underpants and the waistband of her long johns. Officials have announced that new DNA testing technology may soon be able to crack this case. As of December this month, Boulder Police Department has reported they've processed more than 1,500 pieces of evidence, including the analysis of nearly 1,000 DNA samples and could include databases generated from at-home DNA tests. So they seem to be hinting at the fact that they're getting closer, basically. Mm 
which is great news, I think. So, but absolutely tragic, tragic, tragic story of uh, Jean Benet Ramsey. Yeah, I think the brother did it. I, also, I didn't read any theories about that, so I like that you have a theory that's when different the, than what I saw. When the cops were called and everything, um, they were still in their outfits from the Christmas party the night before. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they were up late. Obviously, like you were some, up late doing yeah. something. Could you have been covering for your son's homicide? Right. And I... I Two wondered, like, if somebody entered the house and, you know, broke into her bedroom and brought her down into the basement and did all these things and made, you know, something to strangle her with and all that stuff. Like, how would you not hear any of it, notice any of it, etc.? Yeah. One of the things I read said they had carpet in their house, so it muffled the sounds. And, like, the, I'm sorry about that much. Yeah, no. And also, they had, like, people coming in and out of their house all day. And, like, right. when your daughter's, like... You don't want people at your house. You want to like, unless it's like the investigators and stuff, but they had right. like they family called, friends like, coming everybody. over and I'm pretty sure they didn't even call the police first. I don't know if that's true or not. But I don't like, know either. It, it told me that she called first thing and they um, were there by 555, but who knows? I don't know. I just think it's super sketchy that they were in the same clothes still and that they couldn't say that it wasn't Patsy's handwriting. The paintbrush was Patsy's. Right. The stationery was Patsy's. She had pineapple in her system, but no fingerprints on the bowl. I'm telling you, she reached over, grabbed pineapple, yeah. and Burke lost it. Yeah. No, I like that theory. I know that we're not really supposed to, like, say what we what's going on because we don't know who did it, but... what I mean, I think Burke, it's... if you're listening, you shouldn't have killed your sister. I think that we should give our own personal thoughts and theories, especially on cases that are well known. And even if they're not, I mean, or if you tell me a story that's not true, I'm still going to tell you how I feel about it. So, yeah, I really hope he doesn't hear this and then like sue me for something. I don't care. I don't sue think, me. I don't think he's going to hear this. I'm pretty <laughs> Imagine sure if he he's did. not going to hear this. Hey, buddy. Um, if you're but also, I'm not the first person who's ever said this. So, like, I'm not sorry. And um, next week, we're going to tell you some stories about this thing called New Year's. Why did you say it like that? That's so weird. I don't know. Um, I wonder what we'll find for New Year's stories. I'm sure some shit has gone down. Oh, absolutely. Drunken shenanigans. Yep. Uh, we'll be back next week to tell you which story was a real-life encounter. You already know. And which one was fiction. You already um, know. <laughs> yeah, you already know, too. Uh, we'll also include the credits to this week's uh, stories in the show notes for next week. You can submit your own personal stories to butwaititgetsworse at gmail.com. That includes like theme suggestions, etc. And you can follow us on Instagram at butwaititgetsworse. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.